So the Apostle Paul's prayer are powerful things to teach us how to pray. And he doesn't just have one in the book of Ephesians, but two in chapter 1 and chapter 3. We looked at the first part of that last week in verse 15 through 18. Therefore, he says in verse 15, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of your calling, what is the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, us. And now in verse 19, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe? According to the working of his mighty power, exceeding great mighty power of Jesus in us and through us. The word exceeding is to throw something beyond what you meant to throw it. Greatness is where we get our word magnitude from it. Megatheos. And it's, I'm throwing it beyond a magnitude greater. And then the word power is dynam. Uh, we get our word dynamite from it. And it's towards all believers, not some who believe but everyone who believes according to the working of his mighty power. Wow. God wants us to be a people who have an exceeding, great, mighty power that worked in Jesus working in us. Mark 16 tells us when the power is displayed, when you go out to preach the gospel, God's signs and wonders will follow the preaching of the word. And again, it's his mighty power. It's not some power we work up through prayer and reading the Bible and, and you know, we put on some magic Christian ring or some magic Christian belt and boom, you know, eat some Christian spinach and, you know, no, the treasure we have in these earthen vessels is that the power is not of us. It's always the power of God through us. So it's there. The Holy Spirit lives in us. It's for every believer. God's given to every single believer individually a gift of the Holy Spirit, of prophecy or tongues, interpretation of tongues, a gift of faith, the gift of healing, and so forth. That everyone would have a gift that individually we use to bless the body, but more importantly, to be a light and a salt to the earth. And so it really, the question is, if we're not seeing that power, are we clogging up the pipes? We're going to get to Ephesians 5, and he says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And yes, you look at the book of Acts, and it says 90% of the book of Acts could not exist if it wasn't for the power of God. Because literally one chapter or the next, you see the Holy Spirit and his power moving. But yet the question is today, 90% of the church doesn't have the power of God 
but yet we're still writing the chapters of the book of Acts. What are those chapters reading? I think pretty boring <laughs> compared to when the power of God's moving. Amen. So again, it's, it's not a matter of does God want us to have the power? The question is, do we believe that power? This is again, Lord, give us enlightenment in our eyes. Lord, open our hearts and our minds to understand what is your inheritance in the saints. Help us to have the revelation of a power that should be there, that maybe not be there right now. It's not there, but it should be there. Give us revelation and the knowledge of you, Jesus, that we can walk as you walk, talk as you talk, love as you loved. Speak as you speak, pray as you pray. Isn't that awesome to think about that? That Jesus wanted us to have the same prayer life he had. He actually said, what you're observing is not through me. Jesus said, I don't speak one word that I don't hear from the Father first. I don't do one thing unless the Father showed me to do it. Of my authority, he says, of my power, I've done nothing. All that you've seen happen in this human body is the work of the Holy Spirit through the power of my Father. That way, I want to tell you, the works that I've done, you can do also. And greater works than these you will be able to do because I'm going to the right hand of the Father, even more power towards you. Interesting that a lot of Paul's prayer is eaten up by talking about power and the power that should be in the believer's life that sometimes is not there. Well, in verse 20, he goes on to talk more about this power. And he says in verse 20 to 22, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in heavenly places, far above all principalities and power and might and dominion, that every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come, and put all things under his feet, gave him to be head over all things to the church, through the church, in the church, by the church. Notice, as we're going to see, in this power of Jesus is laid out in these three ways. First is mentioned the power of the resurrection of Christ in verse 20. Also in verse 20 is then the power comes from the exaltation of Christ. And then thirdly, in verse 22, the power comes in the headship of Christ. So first of all, looking at this resurrection of Christ, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. Paul says this in Philippians 3 verse 10, as clear as can be in Philippians 3, 10 and 11, that I may know him, what? The power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his suffering, to be conformed to his death, that if by any means I am main attained to the resurrection from the dead. Lord, I want the power of your resurrection. What's that going to help me to do? It's going to help me to be glorious in suffering. That's going to help me to die to my flesh. That power of your resurrection living in me, I'll be able to put to death daily all the passions and desires that war against the Spirit. And that, that power in my life that raised you from the dead would be in my 
life that I also could live as one right now who's truly been raised from the dead. Isn't that what Paul says? That here, here's my goal, that I would no longer live. Remember in Galatians? But the life that I now live, I live in Christ. In John 2, 19, Jesus answered and said to them, destroy this temple in three days, what? I will raise it up. Now understand, in Romans 8, it says the Spirit raised Jesus from the dead. And in Acts, it says that the God the Father raised Jesus from the dead. All three persons of the Trinity were active in his resurrection. But let's not overlook the fact that Jesus says, I will raise my body from the dead. And in John 2, 21, he makes it clearly saying that the temple was referring to his body. And so that same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in us because God's Holy Spirit is in us. And we need to be filled and keep being filled with the Holy Spirit. You see, the Holy Spirit is in the world right now. You think right now, maybe I'll take one of these tracts we have here from the church and I'll hand it to somebody. You know what you're going to find? That those who are being called unto God, God's been working on them over time. And when you pull that out, they're going to be going, this is right in line where my heart's at. Yes, give me that thing. And they'll read it like they're starving to death. Did you realize that's happening? The fields are white under harvest. Wednesday night, I, I told the guys, hey, I got a whole stack of these right here on the stage. Hand one out Thursday. Hand one out Friday. Hand one out Saturday. Just one. If, if you got to just, you know, go at 11 at night and put it under their door, you know, put it on their door and run away. Whatever your faith is. But you could just say, Jesus loves you. And I want you to know the good news and hand it to him. That's it. If that's all your faith is able. How simple is that? I don't know if anybody grabbed in him any. Maybe they did. Lord, let somebody come to the Lord to that, that right there. And uh, actually, I need that. Oh, yes. Now I remember what the Holy Spirit was speaking. Um, the, the, the trials of outdoor preaching here. And um, yes, the, the, the work of God is there. The Holy Spirit is at work in the world, convicting him of sin and righteous judgment. The Holy Spirit is in the believers. When you say, Jesus, be the Lord of my life, the Holy Spirit comes into us. But there's one more working of the Holy Spirit, and that's the upon experience. That's the power. And that's why Jesus said, yes, he breathed on them in John 20, received the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was in them. But he said, don't go out for witnessing yet because you need the power. And they waited and waited and waited and waited. Any of you guys ever been in a continuous prayer meeting? For 40 days? Well, it started with 500. And the time the day of the Holy, the Holy Spirit poured out, there was 120 left. What do you think of those 380 people who heard about that later? They're going, man, I should have been at the prayer meeting. Oh, I should have stayed. I should have stayed at the prayer meeting. The greatest prayer meeting that has ever been held. And I stayed for 39 days. And I left. I should have hung in there one more day. Well, the Holy Spirit poured out. But then 
In Acts chapter 4, they're going, God, we need the power of your Holy Spirit again. And God poured out his spirit again. That's where we're at. We're leaky vessels. We need to pray for God's power of his spirit. And again, this power comes because Christ is seated at the right hand in heavenly places. And and Christ is exalted in power. Do we get this? Jesus' power that raised Christ from the dead is in us right now. But then Jesus is at the right hand of the Father, and all the power he has being at the right hand of the Father is also in us. Jesus' power, listen, it is far exceeds all powers. Jesus' power is greater than any authority, far above any authority on this earth. Jesus is above all earthly power. Jesus is above all earthly authority. Jesus is above all spiritual powers, all spiritual authorities. Whether those are principalities or powers or might or dominion, you might remember in Ephesians 6, we're going to get there when we're talking about fighting with the demonic powers, demonic authorities. He uses these same words in Ephesians 6, 12. But what does he say? Far above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. Every name. Christ is above all authority. Christ is above all powers. Christ was above all authority at the time Paul was writing that. So whoever stepped onto the throne of Rome, Augustus or Julius, whoever it was, Nero, it didn't matter. Picture with me right now. You guys might remember years ago, back in 1990, they sent out, it was called a Voyager 1. It was a space probe. Do you remember this? They had a capsule and they filled it with all kinds of earth sounds and earth pictures. And, and the idea was is an extraterrestrial one day would find this and it would give them directions to earth to come to find us. This is no joke. But they had the thing, the camera, and this is the first time that the camera actually went out of sight. But the last picture it took of earth It was a tiny, tiny blue dot. And that sort of became the headlines. The space voyager, final glimpse of Earth is we were a tiny, tiny blue dot. And the idea was how insignificant are we? So picture, if you would, a little tiny piece of sand. That's earth. And guess who you are? A tiny piece of dirt on the tiny piece of dirt. And now picture God. (laughs) He's got the whole universe in the span of his hand. And you're going, but God, Biden got elected. He's going, that tiny 
piece of dirt on the tiny piece of dirt on a tiny little space on the little tiny space of dirt that's it that's that's overwhelming you where's jesus he's at the right hand of the father and his hand spans the universe <laughs> and we're worried what are you worried about there should be only one thing we're worried about, and that is we're filled with the Holy Spirit and his power. Imagine grass growing up, and you know the, the guy's going to mow next week. But the grass grows up and is fighting with each other. Who's in control there? Who's in power here? I am. I am. And they're warring with each other. And they finally figure out who's in power, and the lawnmower comes the next week. That's us, guys. Our life is just a vapor. The old King James says our life is a butt vapor. It's butt vapor. I had a guy years ago going, what is butt vapor? Like a fart? And I'm like, what do you mean? Life is a butt vapor? Anyway, then I used to always say it's butt dust. I'm like, what butt dust? I know what butt vapor is. I, you're confusing me here. These Bible terms, yeah, they're theological terms. Look it up, butt dust, butt vapor. That's accurate, actually. That's all we are. What, are. what are we worried about? We are right now, our soul, God's spirit lives in us. Our spirit is alive. We are eternal. To be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord. What can man do to me? He can kill me. Thank you. I got, a, I got a direct line straight to heaven. He can imprison you, but a vapor of time. He can make it so you don't have electricity and water for a vapor of time. Oh, that I might know him, the power's resurrection, the fellowship of his suffering. Lord, only one thing that matters, and that is I awaken in your likeness. Sorrows but for a what? night but joy comes in the morning we're here just one night guys the, the joy's coming only one thing that matters and that is that people know christ that people are growing in christ and jesus name is above every name remember nebuchadnezzar the king of the world and he got a whole year's warning he had this dream and Daniel interpreted the dream and he said, oh man, I'm scared to death for you, Nebuchadnezzar, because that is a dream about you being prideful in heart and God humbling you. And he didn't listen to that prophecy. And the next year, he's standing on top of his great building, looking over Babylon and says, oh man, look at all that I've done. Look at all the great things. Man, I'm amazing. Right then he was struck down like an animal for seven years. His hair grew out like the feather of a bird, his fingernails like the claws of a bird, and he wandered around eating grass like a cow. But at the end of seven years, his mind came back, and he looked to God. And he said, I bless the Most High and praise and honor him who lives forever and ever. His dominion is everlasting dominion. His kingdom is a generation to generation, and all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing before him. That's just accurate, guys. That's not some strange poetry that's just accurate there's one power one authority and that is jesus 
And it's the Father's will that Jesus be lifted up. And that should be our will. What do we pray in, in the Lord's Prayer? Not my will be done, but what? Thy will be done. What's the Father's will? Philippians 2, it says, God has highly exalted him, Jesus, and given him the name above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, and those in heaven and those on the earth, those under the earth. One day, all the universe, those who are in Hades, those who are on the earth, those who are in heaven, all at one time are going to see Jesus. And every tongue will confess, even the non-believers, even those who will spend eternity in hell, will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And here's why I want to spend some time today. He put all these things under his feet. What is that phrase referring to? You can go through the Old Testament. The clearest passage is in Joshua 10. And this is right after they conquered Ai. And they had a number of kings. And Joshua came to all the young men of these great kings. And he said, everybody put your foot on their neck. And then afterwards, they killed him. It was in essence saying that God has dominated all powers that are in the promised land that are not supposed to be in this land. This is a prophecy of Jesus. In Psalms 110 verse 1, he, he says, The Lord said to my Lord, the Father said to the Son, Set at my right hand till I make your enemies uh, your footstool. In Psalms 8 verse 6, again, Until I put all things under your feet. In 1 Corinthians 15, 24 to 28, then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom of God the Father and he puts an end to all the rule and authority and power. He must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be destroyed is death, for he has put all things under his feet. But he says all things he put under him, it's evident that he put all things under him, is expected, is accepted. Now, when all things are made subject to him, then the son himself also will be subject to him who put all things under him. That is, God may be all in all. So once all things are truly under Jesus' feet, he then comes back to the father and he says, here it is, father. When does that happen? At the end of the tribulation period. You can read in Revelation, Jesus comes riding on the horse and there he comes to the battle of Armageddon and he slaughters all the kingdoms in the, of the world in rebellion against Jesus. And Hebrews 2, 8, But have put all things subject under his feet, for it is he who put all in subjection under him. He let nothing that is not put under him. But now we are not yet see all things put under him. Guys, all authority and power is under Christ's feet. It's just we don't see it yet. Satan has not yet been crushed. He's going to be. Just like somebody who gets a little snake that nips at their boots. I've had friends that have had that working on our church site in San Diego. A rattlesnake nipped right at the guy's boot and hung on to his boot. And he got with his other foot and he just put its head and crushed its head under his heel. Satan's head has not yet been crushed. He took a nip at Jesus. And yes, he died, but he rose again. 
It hasn't happened yet, but it is going to happen. Satan doesn't believe it. Satan thinks he literally is more righteous than God. He literally thinks that his plan is holier than God's plan. That God's not holy enough. God's not pure enough. God's not righteous enough. Satan is far more glorious in all those things. And, and he is going to win. That he's going to be crushing God's head. He's fully deceived, but that's what he believes. But it's not going to happen. It's a done deal. All powers, all authorities. And in that thousand-year millennial reign after the tribulation period, Jesus will rule with a rod of iron. If anybody even in their thoughts think of rebellion, he'll crack their skull like a potter would crack a clay pot. And right now, this headship of Christ is where we are. We're going to get to Ephesians 2, and it says we are seated with Christ in heavenly places right now. Positionally. So we saved each other. Oh, are you saved? Saved means we're in our brand new body with the Lord in heaven. Is anybody here saved? But yet we know the promises of Christ, right? That he who began the good work, it's as good as done. That Christ lives in us. We are, moment we leave this body, we are going to be at the right hand of the Father, sitting with Jesus in perfect righteousness. And when the rapture comes, we'll be in our perfect bodies. And we will be saved. Is there any doubt that's going to happen? It's just a matter of time. But you who are older like me, you know what time is. It's a second. Years ago, I was called to go visit a man who was in his 90s. I think he was 93. And he was in the hospital dying. And he was just, I couldn't get breath. And he couldn't breathe. And he was just frantic. And we've been told that he was bitter at God for letting him die so early. He didn't think God had given him enough years. This is no joke. He was 93 years old going, this is nothing. The fact that I'm dying at 93, I should be living years longer. That's what his kids had told us. But we went in there and just said, look, don't blame God for death. That came through Adam and Eve and their sin. And your sin is putting you to death. All of us have sinned and all of us our bodies are going to die because that sin is not only in the world, it's in us. And just said, right now, you need to have a peace with God. So whether you're in this body or with the Lord, we prayed a prayer and he had tubes in him. And, and immediately he just started breathing normally and it was enough oxygen. And we left and he died a few hours later. The fact is, is life, even if you live here hundreds of years, is but a second. But right now, for us as believers, we are in that position with Christ at the right hand of the Father, and all power has been given to us. I love that First John 4, 17. As he is, so are we in this world. Isn't that great? Jesus is perfect in righteousness. 
So are you. Does it look like that? No, but positionally, it's true. We have all power. All power that Jesus had, the works that Jesus did, we can do in greater works. Because as he is, so are we in this world. And then the final phrase in verse 23, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. He makes it clear that it's to the church is what is filling his all in all. The church is his body. We know that, right? He gave us the example of marriage on earth. And what did he say about two humans on earth? If they get married, the two become what? One. And this is the same with Christ. Do we understand that magnitude? Listen to Jesus talking about this in John 17. Listen to his passion and his heart for us. In John 17, 20, I do not pray for these alone, but I also pray for those who believe in me through their word, that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. And the glory which you gave me, I've given them that they may be one, just as we are, I and them, you and me. They may be made perfect and one, that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them, and you have loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am, that they may behold your glory which I've given you. For you love me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I have known you, and these have known that you sent me. And I have declared to them your name, and I will declare it, that the love with which you love me may be in them, and I in them. Do you hear this? This isn't some clerical reading in a courtroom. He's talking about our position in Christ right now. Exactly as he is in the Father, we would be in the Father. Exactly as he has walked in the power and the love and the ear to hear and the words to speak from his Father, that that same experience would be in us as well. But even in a greater way, because Jesus, the Father, the Holy Spirit, indwells us, speaks to us. This is in the church. The fullness of him is in the church. Christ gave his all to have the church. The church is his bride. That was his goal. The two becoming one. We know this, don't we? In Ephesians 5, 25, husbands love your wife as Christ loved the church and what? Gave himself for her. On the cross, Christ was saying, I love my bride. I'm dying for my bride, that I might gain my bride. Who is the bride? The church. You always know what's most important to God by seeing what Satan is minimizing. Right? Is freedom of speech important? (laughs) Satan minimizes it. Is the prayer meeting important? It's, it's so sealed in our mind, it's not important. It's for old ladies and little children. It's a waste. It's, it's a waste of an hour. 
I could literally watch a whole episode on Netflix in that time I prayed. Man, I really wasted an hour. Got to get caught up on Netflix now. It's minimized. Now the church, the church is so unimportant. The, we see the, the government of our nation saying, why would you want to go to church and, and, and risk getting the COVID? I mean, I can understand if you want to go to a football game and risk getting COVID. That I understand. But going to church is a big nothing. Why would you want to go to a big nothing? Just stay home and sing some songs and just listen to some guy talk about the Bible. It's a useless, it's a useless thing to do. But if you want to waste your life, don't don't go in person and kill yourself. They had no understanding. What is the most important thing to Jesus? The church, the health of the church, the prayers of the church, the power in the church, the fruitfulness of the church. People often say, well, I'm just a Christian on my own over here. Well, tell me about your Christianity. It's personal. And I'm offended you would ask me about it. It's between me and God. We've got our own contract made out. And I'm like, you're deceived. Because there's one body. And it's offensive to Christ to say that the church, the gathering together is, is, is minimal, is unimportant. It's the church that he sanctifies and cleanses with the washing of the water of the word. Isn't that what he says? God's given to the church pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints that were washed in the water right now, the preaching of the word, that he might present to himself a glorious bunch of individual Christians? No. That he could present to the Father the church. All the believers unified. Father, as I am in you and you are in me, that we would be in us and they, they, they would be in us. And we in what? Them. You see, it's the church. That he might present the church glorious, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing. So Paul, in this prayer, wants us to know God experientially. He wants us to appropriate our riches fully. He wants to experience God's power victoriously. How do we experience this victorious power? Through the scriptures, through prayer, through suffering, through surrendering our life so that we might have the power, the full power of the Holy Spirit. As we end here, I would just like to give a few thoughts on end times. We are in the last days of the last days. And it's happening exactly as the Bible says. I mean, imagine if you were to get all the plays that the other team is going to have for the next football game. Somehow you got the playbook, and they have it listed out, play one, play two, play three, play four, play five. And everybody on the defense knows what the play is going to be. I, I love watching on YouTube where they have these trick plays that are unbelievable. And when you look at them, they're really not very tricky. But when everybody's thinking it's a pass, it's a pass, it's a pass, and then it's a run. It's successful, right? 
Or imagine if somebody could read the plays and tell the batter before the pitch was thrown. You know, the guy's up there thinking it's going to be a fastball, it's going to be a fastball, and he swings at a fastball. It's a changeup. And he swings before the ball even gets to the plate. But you know it's going to be a changeup. Is there any trickiness in it to it? This is a changeup. All right. How successful would batters be if they knew the pitch before they got there? We know everything Satan's going to do, guys. He told us. He told us in advance. And then on top of that, God said, here's the play we're going to have defensively. Here's the plays we're going to have offensively. So we know all of Satan's offense. We know all of Satan's defense. And God said, I'm already got the playbook for that. We know his play, and we already have a defense. We know their, how they're going to set up, and we already have an offense. Do you think we're going to win that game? It's just a matter of us reading the playbook and knowing it in advance. What do we see in this prayer? That Christ is seated at the right hand in heavenly places, far above all principalities and powers and mights and dominions. God has put all things under his feet, and he is given him to be the head over all things. Just just soak that in a minute. Do you realize we win? It's already won. All power is on our team. All authority is on our team. There's only one eternal God. Satan's not it. He was a created being. There's one eternal God. And he loves us. He sent his son to die for us. He's taken us to heaven to be with him. It's only a matter of a few seconds before we're with him in heaven. 